For today's share, I want to discuss the controversy, the big machlikas apeskim that took place in 1905 in regards to blowing Shefer on Shabbos. Now, we all know this year Rosh Hashanah is going to fall out on Shabbos, and uh, the halacha psuka in Gans Kla Yisrael, without exception, is that when Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos, we don't blow Shefer on Shabbos. Now, if you can ask me, how could something so obvious, so basic, that all of Kla Yisrael follows as the minig, as the halacha psuka, turn into something that was such a controversy? So I'll tell you, it truly was a feature of, of a remarkable character, a remarkable life, and in a difficult time. So, so let's just start as follows. The, the halacha psukah in Simen Tafkuf Peiches, the Shulchan Aruch and Erechayim Paskins, it's Tafkuf Peiches, Sifhei, and Shulchan Aruch says as follows, Yamtiv Shor Rosh Hashanah, Shechal Yois B'Shabbos. If the Yamtiv of Rosh Hashanah fell out on Shabbos, Ein Taiken B'Shoifer. We don't blow Shoifer. There are Maz Moisif, Hagah, Ba'asul Etaltel, not only don't you blow the shayfar, the shayfar is mukta. Now if you look at the Nersi Kalim, there's no machlikas about this. This is a halacha psukah, this is how Klai Paskins. We do not blow shayfar and shayfar shechal b'shavas. Now, um, <coughs> so, so let's, let's see, so where does this come from? So, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, on Daf Chavtesim and Aleph, there's a Mishnah that says as follows, Yom Tov Rosh Hashanah shechal yis b'shavas. The Yom Tov Rosh Hashanah that fell out on Shabbos, b'mikdash, in the Beis HaMikdash, they would blow Shoefer. Not in the Medina. Now, there's a, a, a vast Machlikas Rishonim and a lot of Achreinim in exactly how to learn this Mishnah. We're not going to go into all the Shittas, but there's three, maybe four Shittas in the Rishonim of how to learn the Mishnah, where they blew, where they didn't blow. We're, we're going to try to extrapolate the, the Halacha Psukah that comes out of the Sugya and work with that. So the Mishnah says that in the Mikdash, they would blow Shoefer, but not in the Medina. Now, the, the Mishnah continues... Mishacharav Beis Hamikdash. Once the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, Hiskin Reb Yechonim Menzakeh. Reb Yechonim Menzakeh was Masakin. She heitaken b'chol makom sheyesh bebezdin. They could blow shofar in any place that had a bezdin. Am Rav Liazer. Rav Lazer says lo hiskin Reb Yechonim Menzakeh ela beyavne bilvad. Rav Lazer says no, not true. Reb Yechonim Menzakeh's takana to blow shofar on Shabbos was only in Yavne. Am Ruloi echad Yavne vechad kol makom sheyesh bebezdin. The, the, the Chachamim retort, no, any place that had a Bezdin is where Rebbechon and Mizakim was Mizakim the Bloshefer and Shabbos. And the Mishnah continues. Now, the Gemara brings what is L'chayra very, you say this to Shaila, and how to understand the Isser of blowing Shefer and Shabbos. And this itself is something that's, that's uh, a Machlekes between the Bavli and the Yerushalmi, and we'll see how that's relevant. The Gemara brings as follows How do you know this din? That Yamtiv Shachali is Shal Rosh Hashanah, Shachali is Peshavas, that you don't blow a Shafer. So Amr of Chama Brachanina, Kasev Echadema Shabbosin Zikaran Trua, Zikaran Trua, Kasev Echadema Yem Trua Yelachem. We have a steer in the Psukim. One says Zikaran Trua, remembrance of blowing, and one says a Yem Trua. So Gemara says, Kan be Yamtiv Shachali is Peshavas, Kan be Yamtiv Shachali is Pechel. The implication is that there's a difference depending on when Yamtiv fell out, is when you blow Shafer versus when you remember Shafer. The Gemara asks on this that it's not possible to say this, and the Gemara ends up saying uh, a famous Gemara. The Gemara says as follows: Ella Amarava Raisa Mishra Shari, Raisa blowing Shafer inside the base Mikdash, outside the base Mikdash, blowing Shafer on Shabbos Midei Raisa is allowed, says the Gemara. Navas, why don't we? The Rabbanon who the Gazerbe, the Rabbanon made Xera that we don't blow Shafer on Shabbos. Why? Because the Rabba, the Amarava, Hakol Chayavim B'tkiya Shafer. Every Jew is Chayavim B'tkiya Shafer. Ve'ena Kol Bekim B'tkiya Shafer. But not everyone knows how to do it or what the halachas of a shayfar are, and that itself is a machik's in which exactly the detail that's missing. They were afraid a regular person might take a shayfar in his hand, 
Lilmoid. Then he'll go to an expert to learn Vyavirenu Dalaramas Prashasarabim, Vahainu Tamad the Lula, Vahainu Tamad the Megillah. And this itself, this Svara, this Xera de Rabba of not blowing Shafer on Rosh Hashanah is also the reason for not shaking Lulav when it falls out on Shabbos and not reading Kriyas and Megillah when it falls out on Shabbos. And this is a halacha that uh, makes it the Shulchan Aruch in its simplest fashion. That we paskin like the Gzair the Rabbah, it makes it by Lulav, it makes it by Shafer, it makes it by Megillah. We don't do any of these things on the Yom Tov Shechali for Shabbos as we're afraid it could lead to someone carrying Dalad Amos Prashasarabim. Now, and this, like this, is how the Shulchan Aruch paskins. And additionally, the tour, and all there in the tour is where, where we'll start seeing some more wiggle room. Additionally, the tour, if you look in the tour, in the same simon over here, the tour says, The Shabbos loves Mantki, who Shabbos is not as Mantki at the Tnan, Yom Tif Shrosh Hashanah Shechaliyes B'Shabbos, the Mikdash Hayutaikin, Avalebi Medina. Only in the Mikdash they would be Takeya, but not in the Medina. Why says the tour, Sheena Kal Bekiyim? Not everybody knows how to blow Shafer. We're afraid that if we're going to allow everyone to blow Shafer, even not under a controlled circumstance, even not in a place like the Beis HaMikdash, we're afraid that it could lead to, to someone being Mechal Shabbos. So now, now this is the, how the Bavli explains the, the Isser to blow Shafer on Shabbos. In the Yerushalmi, there's a, a different mahalach to explain what the problem with blowing shofar on Shabbos is. It explains it slightly different than, than how we have it in the Bavli. It starts off very similar. The Gemara brings the Psukim, the stira, of Kasev Echad Emer Zichrin Trua and Kasev Echad Emer Yemen Trua. And the Gemara gives the same resolution depending on, you know, Chal B'Shabbos and not Chal B'Shabbos is how to explain when you blow and when you don't blow shofar, when it's only a Zichrin Trua. But instead of falling away from that Teretz like the Bavli does, the Yushalmi says that the reason why in the Beis HaMikdash they were able to blow even on Shabbos, even though seemingly it would violate the Torah's uh, dictum of Zichron Trua, is there was a special Pasuk, Xeris HaKasav, in the, in the Beis HaMikdash that says, V'hikravtem, b'makram sh'akarbanos kravim, teikinath b'Shabbos. That's how the Yushalmi says it. Now the Nafkamina between the Babylon and the Yushalmi is one you say that, is one you say the second Nafkamina. What would be in the time when there is no Beis HaMikdash? According to the Yushalmi, when there is no Beis HaMikdash, Midoy Raisa, not only uh, are you not allowed to blow shofar, you're not mechayiv to blow shofar. The pasuk clearly says zichrin trua. There's no chayiv to kiyas shofar on Shabbos, as opposed to the Bavli, where the Bavli says it's only exeri the rabbah, it's a takanas chachamim not to blow. It would come out that according to the Bavli, avada there's a chayiv to blow shofar on Shabbos. Ravas mi derabanan yichaylim chachamim levatel deviteri b'shevat tasa, and mi derabanan the rabbanan you know added their 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 stop, and they said no, hold off, don't do it. So that's you say this tikechelik between the Bavli and the Yerushalmi. And, and meaning in, in the Yerushalmi's world, there's not even a reason to advocate for blowing Shefer on Shabbos because you're not mechuyiv to blow Shefer on Shabbos. Now, there's one exception to the, let's call it, to the normative halacha that we don't blow Shefer on Shabbos, and that is as follows. The riff in, in, uh, in Rosh Hashanah, Afanart, on the sugi over there, the riff seems to hold like the shittas that say that we blow Shefer, even bizman even outside of Eretz Yisrael, provided that there's a Bezdin Kavua. It, it's a, it's a, a, a one way to learn the Gemara. Provided that there's a Bezdin Kavua, the riff holds that we blow Shefer. Now, the Tor is the one who brings this down. The Tor, in Simen Tafkov Pechas, the Tor says as follows, The riff, the riff would blow Shefer in his Bezdin, he went like the Shita that says that when Rebbechon and Medzakai's Takana to blow Shefer was, that any place that there is a Bezdin, one could blow Shefer. 
The riff learned that means any bezdin. Even just three dayanim. But says the Torah, The Torah continues. But the Torah says that, that Kalapayskim don't hold like the riff, but the riff, who's from the the uh, the biggest of the of the of the Chachmei Svarad, the Rambam's you know Rebbe through the Rimagash, and the riff is 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 from the biggest uh, Paiskim, and the riff held that uh, you do blow Shefer on Shabbos, provided that there's a Bezdin Kavua, one blows Shefer on Shabbos. Now, lest you think that this is just uh, something the riff held Lahalacha Maisa, so it's brought down in many Rishonim, many of the Rishonim Afanart in the Sugya. Uh, the Ritva, the Ramban, the Ramban in several places, the Balamar, the Rush, many of them bring down that they knew Bidia, you know, from the Messiah that they had, that this was something that the Rif actually enacted. He did himself, and we even know, like, a certain number of the years that the Rif himself, uh, in his Bezdin Blue Shifer, the, the, this, it seemed, the, Rif, the Rif spent most of his life in, in Fez, hence the name Rabitzak El Fasi, El Fezi. He came from Fez in Morocco. That's where the Rif was, was born and learned and spent most of his life. The last 15 years of his life, the Rif moved to Spain and became the Paisic Adar of Spain and raised a whole, a whole uh, Dar of Talmidim. But during those last years in Spain, in the 10, let's say, 80s and 90s, the Rif, the Rif Lushafer, I think there was four or five times that Rosh Hashanah fell out to be on Shabbos, and, and, and the Messiah was in Spain, that the Rif blew Shafer in his Bezdin on those years. So we have a Psak from, from uh, Echad Megdele HaRishaynim that says that even though the, the you know, Stam Stimas Asugyo, according to the most Rishaynim learn it, is that one does not blow Shafer on, on Rosh Hashanah Shechali as Shabbos, but we have the Rif, his Halacha, and it's Halacha Lamaisa, that the Rif held you blow Shafer on Shabbos. Now, this would be a... Uh, 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 shita dechuya, forgotten shita, shita that nobody does like, that exists, but it's not something that the that the Velt, uh, you know, did like until uh, a very interesting character, Bakiva Yosef Schlesinger, uh, shows up on the scene and and he begins to advocate and to push for this. And now the best place that I think that we could we could get information about this is from a letter that Bakiva Yosef Schlesinger himself wrote in in a kovitz called Tel Talpios in the year 1905, in Mechtav Vav, in Mechtav Zayin, Yosef Schlesinger elaborates on it, you know, extensively. At that point, he's, he's very hurt already, and the, the letter that he's writing is, you know, impassioned and aggravated, but it, it's a great resource, and in Mitzvah Shem, I'll, I'll read from it a little bit, but just by way of background. So, so Rebekah Yosef Schlesinger is, is a fascinating person. Uh, I'll start like this. In, in 19, in, I think it's 1922, um, there was a, a Kol Kaira of sorts published in, in the newspaper called Kol Yisrael, which was an Agudist newspaper in Yerushalayim at the time, and they called it, uh, it was called the Hakrasha. Ha, 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 they were being Makrish something. Now, what they were being Makrish is that there was an article in the Haaretz, you know, an early, an early, early article in the Haaretz at that time, where the Haaretz claimed that the earliest, one of the earliest, you know, neo-Zionist or Zionist rabbis that existed was a Rekiv Yosef Schlesinger. And the Haaretz, they, they said like a few details about him and his mishpacha, some of them pretty famous, published like a hakasha in the, safe, in, in the newspaper called Kal Yisrael to deny what was published in Haaretz claiming that he's a, a Tzioni. And there was a few specific details they took offense to. For example, I'll read you some of it. 
they, they, they took offense to the fact that in the Haaretz it claimed that, that uh, Rabbi Kivyas of Schlesinger was uh, on board with Herzl's Rayonot. They, they, they protested that. They protested that in the Haaretz article it claimed that Rabbi Kivyas of Schlesinger was pushing for Ivrit to be the language in Eretz Yisrael. They, 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 in Haaretz it claimed that there had been a meeting between Dr. Herzl and Rabbi Kivyas of Schlesinger to, you know, promote Zionist ideas. They denied that. And this was signed by Moshe Mordechai Chaikin, Pinchas Tzvi Schoenberger, Avram Khan, and David Baran. Now, Rabbi David Baran is, of these four names, the most famous one. He was a, a, a real gadol in Yerushalayim, and some of his Talmidim are famous. Some of his you know, considered himself to be a Talmud of David Baran. He, so, so these are, Rabbi David Baran was a son-in-law of Rabbi Kiv Yosef Schlesinger, and uh, these are B'nai Mishpach of Rabbi Kiv Yosef Schlesinger, and they're protesting that the representation that's being shared about their, their Rosh Mishpach is false, and he was not a Zionist, the way the Haaretz is describing. Now, some of his uh, kids in Endekoch even go on to be like some of the big activists in the Naturi Karta. Rabbi David Baran had a son-in-law, Reb, uh, had a son-in-law, I forgot his name now, he had a son-in-law, Weissfish, one of his grandchildren, Label of Weissfish, becomes like a big Naturi Kartanik. Rav Amram Bloy actually worked as, as uh, Rav Kivyesu Schlesinger's, uh, call it secretary or assistant for an organization, a chevra called Ramasayim Tzaifim that Rav Kivyesu Kiv Schlesinger established towards the end of his life. So he clearly was not a, a, a Tzayini the way that, that Haaretz was describing. And he had very, very close ksharim with the Naturi Karta community. Um, he, he did a shidduch, he was mechotan uh, with Yosef Chaim Zanenfeld, their enikach married each other. But at the same time, as we'll see, a lot of his ideas and a lot of his chedushim were something that could very easily be, be aligned with the Zionist movement in a way that would, that would excite them. For example, in, in, in 1950, I saw a documentation from, like minutes, from a meeting, a city council meeting deciding to name the different streets I think it's the neighborhood, the neighborhood of Talbia, and they were looking for names of the streets, and we have minutes from that meeting, and they, they decided that they're going to name the streets after different Zionist icons. And amongst them, one of them that they chose to name was a Rikivi Yasef Schlesinger. They named it after his Sefer, Leva Ivri, which is one of his farm, incidentally not his uh, most Zionist Sefer, but uh, they named it after Leva Ivri, and, uh, you know, his name lines up with a lot of other, like, icons of, of you know, Zionist thought and Zionist movement, in the neighborhood of Talbiyah. So clearly the Zionists, you know, were, were claiming him to be one of their own and were, you know, willing to take him into the fold. And at the same time, his B'nai Mishpacha and, and close relations with the Turikarta and the Yerushalayim Eden of the time are, are protesting and saying it's not so. So, so who is this man whose, whose identity is in such dispute? So, so let's, let's, uh, let's give his background. The Rekhidi Yosef was born in 1837, shortly, shortly after the Petir of Rebbe His father was a Talmud of the Chesim Seifer, and at the bris, the Chesim Seifer instructed his father to name this boy Akiva after, this, this boy Akiva Yosef after Rebbe and he did, and that's the name that he had. Now, Rebbe Kiva Yosef Schlesinger was a Meir de Ke'ili. By the time he was 30, he had published six Svarim or something like that. He... He was a big Eloi, he put out Svarim in, in Yiddish, he put out Svarim Lush in Kaidish. What I think, you know, really put him on the map was he, his first, uh, like, famous Sefer, and probably the Sefer that he's most well-known for today, is a Sefer called Leva Ivri. It's a two-volume Sefer. The first volume of Leva Ivri is, is a, like, a, 
a beer and Hagayas on the Tzava of the Chesim Sefer. The Tzava of the Chesim Sefer is, you know, is also a stickletary that needs to be learned, and, and he put out a Sefer. And the second one is uh, polemical and is against all, you know, what he considered modern elements in Hungary at the time, and he was fighting for, for traditional Yadus. He, he was a, a big, big, uh, uh, I don't know how to say it, not enemy of, of Rebbe Zriel Hildesheimer and Roshamshin Fal Hirsch. He was very against, like, the moderation and the, what he called, like, a neo-reform that they were pushing in Hungary and, and Germany. And he was uh, from the big, big Kanoim in Hungary at the time. His shver was Rav Hillel Lichtenstein of Kolomaya, who was a uh, Talmud of Sefer, but a very, very Kanoistic, a branch of the Talmud of Sefer. Sefer, after he was after he died, his Talmudim, you know, branched off into different directions, some more, more Kanoistic than others. And this is before Hasidim, but the branch that, that Rav Akiva Yosef, you know, was part of, was with his shver, Rav Hillel Lichtenstein of Kolomaya, who was a big Kanoi, he end, ends up, Stam, incidentally, Reb Hillel Lichtenstein ends up being Reb Akiva Yosef's brother-in-law too. He mar- Reb Akiva Yosef marries his daughter, and then later, a second marriage, Reb Hillel Lichtenstein marries Reb Akiva Yosef's sister. So the relationship is deep, and they're very tied together. Reb Akiva Yosef was very close with the Meram Shik and with the Machnachayim. All the Talmidim of the Chesim Seifer were his Rebbeim. He was very, very Murav in that world of Hungarian Kanois. Now, as a young man, like in his low 30s, maybe 34, 35, he starts having dreams that if he doesn't go up to Eretz Yisrael, bad things are going to happen to him. And he makes the commitment to go up to Eretz Yisrael. Now, at first, his shver and uh, the Eight of Lev and the Maram Shik are against it. They try to convince him to stay behind. He shouldn't move. He's, he's a rising star on the, you know, Hungarian scene. But he's Hubeshaloi. He's committed to it and he ends up, and he, and he wants to move. He finally gets his shver to acquiesce and his shver commits to, to continue to support him even while he lives in Eretz Yisrael, which was very important at that time. And the Bukhiv Yosef moves to Eretz Yisrael. Now the, the Yetiv Lev, the, the second Satmar Rebbe, I guess you could call him, it's really Sigit, but the Yetiv Lev, the Rav of Sigit, the Satmar Rebbe's great-grandfather, he pushed very strong for them to stop him and he got Bukhiv Yosef turned around before he went. Rukhiyasev comes back, comes back to Shver's house to settle down again, and now his Shver starts having bad dreams. That if Rukhiyasev doesn't go to Eretz Yisrael, bad things are going to happen. Some say if Rukhiyasev goes as a young man, he goes to Eretz Yisrael in his low 30s, full of koiches, full of excitement, mali 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 v'gadish, with like a chavivas ha'aretz and a chavivas from mitzvahs and a desire to bring Mashiach. He was a very creative and, and out-of-the-box thinker. He lands on the scene and he does not get along with the, the Kailu Ungarin. Now, uh, it's like a digression on a digression, but let's explain this. So, the way the, the Parnassus situation was, was structured in Eretz Yisrael was, at that time, the, this young, small community of Ashkenazim that had finally been allowed back into Yerushalayim. We, we spoke about this once in the past, but Ashkenazim did not really live in Yerushalayim for the last few hundred years before this. A small kvutz of Ashkenazim came in 1700 with the Yehuda Chassid, they, uh, who we spoke about, was a Talmidei Talmidim of Shafzai Tzvi. He eventually dies very soon after getting to Yisrael. His group disbands, and because of the debts that they owed to the local Turkish rulers, <coughs> the Turks would not allow Ashkenazim to live there anymore. They destroyed the shul. It became named, you know, became well known as Churvaser Chasid. We've discussed this in the past. Now, in the 1800s, due to a change in monetary law, in Turkish monetary law, Ashkenazim were once allowed back into Yerushalayim. 
they were once again allowed back in, and uh, and a small kahila started forming. Now they were mostly comprised of Talmidei Hagra, Talmidei Abesht, and Talmidei Chesam Sefer. These three Gedalei Hadar from 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 Europe, each one in their own area with their own Talmidim, very much encouraged their Talmidim to make Aliyah and to go up to Israel. At the time that the Talmidei Abesht and the Talmidei Hagra and even the Talmidei Chesam Sefer were coming up. They were first settling in Tveria and Svas, anywhere up north, because that's where Ashkenazim were allowed to live. Once there was, uh, you know, Magaphis and earthquakes and terrible things happened in Svas, and at the same time there was an opening for, for Ashkenazim to begin to move back to Yerushalayim, they slowly started migrating back to Yerushalayim, so that in the 1850s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s, a kahila began to be built in Yerushalayim of non-Svardim. Now, they settled down there, and, and eventually they began to get their own G'daylim. Rabbi Yasef uh, Zundel of Salant came, followed by his son-in-law of Shmuel Salant, followed by the Meral Diskin, and Rabbi Yasef Chaim Zanenfeld, and they began to really, truly build the Kehila for themselves. But the way that the financial structure was set up was that everyone belonged to a Kehila. There were different times when the Kehilim were, were more Mu'uchad, when, you know, there was more... Shalom between Kailim and groups would stay together and there were times when the Kailim were very fractured and uh, you know, you're very, very sectarian, you had to belong to a specific Kailim. If you didn't belong to a specific Kailim, you, uh, you would probably starve to death in Yerushalayim. It wasn't so simple. So the Kailim fractured and eventually there was many different, uh, you know, let's say Kailim that were in Yerushalayim. Now the Kailim that Rabbi Kivi Yasef Schlesinger would have had to have been Shaykh to was the Kailul Ungarian. The Kailul of the Hungarians who lived in Yerushalayim at the time was where Rabbi Kiva Yosef would have found his, uh, his comfortable resting spot. Those were his people. Those were the people he was familiar with. Now, Ezetam Shiyah and what exactly triggered this is unknown. Rabbi Kiva Yosef did not get along with the, the Gabayim and the Mamunim on, of the Kailul. He felt that they were motivated by money and there was a tremendous amount of fraud and they uh, didn't take care of the things that were important and Rabbi Kiva Yosef fought with them. Now, uh, eventually he publishes a sefer called Beis Yosef HaChadash which is uh, let's say like low level controversial on its own if not for the fact that it would be him and he was engaged in a battle with them low level controversial sefer but in the Hakdama to the Beis Yosef, Beis Yosef HaChadash Rebekah Yosef launches a full out barrage against the administrators of the Kailul and uh, against the Rabbanim against the Mamunim, you know, some by name, some not by name, but he, he goes after them in a big way. And this led to a huge period. They were right of him to a crazy degree, to the point where he, he, could not, he barely came out of his house for several years. He was under armed guard. He was afraid he'd be beaten. He was threatened to be beaten, possibly even to be killed. It was a, a real, real fight. Eventually, he becomes somewhat enmeshed in the Svardi community in Yerushalayim, it out of necessity. He wasn't able to daven in, in, a, in a Litvish Ashul, so he davened with the Svaradim, and he becomes closer with the Svaradim. But he was uh, very, very much separated and put in Cherim by the, by the you know, Hungarian community from, from which he was part in Yerushalayim. To the point where, at the time this was going on, on Chalukah Day, when, they would, when the Olam came to pick up their checks, the Mamunim on the Kailul put out uh, Cherim with room for signatures, and in order to take your check, you had to sign your name and say that, you know, Enli Chelek Yosef. He was really, really pushed out of the Tzibur and put into Cherem. Now, during his Cherem, his he wrote many Svarim. 
he was a like you could call it like a misunderstood genius and a Talmud Chacham. He he very badly wanted to build agri- agricultural communities, and he he put out a sefer. Uh, I forgot he's put out a sefer called called um, I'll remember. It'll come to me. He put out a sefer like all about his plans for the state for for a future state of of, of Eretz Yisrael where people could work on the farms together and they could live and and the language they speak and the money that they'll have and and the you know the financial law like a crazy amount of detail and effort that he put into this but again very very poorly received he was not someone who was part of the you know the regular kahila that from from where he was supposed to be part of now he he in the midst of all this and how isolated he was he's the one who came up with the idea of blowing shofar on shabbos in in 1885, I think that was the first time that he suggested blowing shofar on Shabbos in in uh, Eretz Yisrael, and he said that uh, the way he sees it, the riff is a ma'aser rav, that one could blow shofar on Shabbos, and I vest him is arguing that we don't have a bezdin kavua. Okay, so we'll, we'll make a bezdin kavua, and he went around to try to talk to different gedolim. He went to to Rishulayb Diskin, and. Uh, he felt that he got some sort of haskama from Rishul Leib, that the Rishul Leib was maskim, that uh, he could blow Shefer on Shabbos in Yerushalayim. Lemaisa, Me'ezetam Shi'iyah, and this is like not so clear, it never happened then. Rechim Echot who was from the, you know, the Yelide Yerushalayim, who wrote, wrote in his Sefer, that the way he remembers it, there was Takaf and the Chachmi Yerushalayim, who agreed to, to this Hamtzah, to blow Shefer on Shabbos, but when it came time to Rosh Hashanah, they, they all disappeared and nobody wanted to participate. Nobody wanted to be part of the group that was violating, you know, normative halacha and making such a big change. So the Maiset didn't happen. Now, it seemed, it got quiet. And this was uh, off the map, the year 1892 and 1899 and 1902 were all years that Rosh Hashanah fell out on Shabbos and there was nothing, no talk about it. In the end, in 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 Tafresh Samach Dalad, in in uh, 1904, in advance of the year 1905, when Rosh Hashanah was going to fall out on Shabbos again, Rabbi Kivi Yosef reawakened his grace of desire, his big bikush, to to push for the for Tkiyas on Shabbos, to do it with the Bezdin Kavua, and to push for Tkiyas on Shabbos, and he went around trying to gather some some steam. Now over here, he finally found someone who was on board with him. The, the newly appointed Skan Rav of Yerushalayim, the Aderes, who had come from Lita, he had been a Rav in the Mir, and had moved to Yerushalayim to be Rav Shmuel Salant's assistant, and, and Mamala Mukaimai at a later date and time. Now, uh, that ended up not happening, as the Aderes ends up being Nifter before Rav Salant, but that was the plan all upon him, and the Aderes very much approved of the idea of, of uh, Rav Akiv Yasef Schlesinger to blow Shefer on Shabbos. He was pro and uh, they sat down to work out exactly the plan and to figure out the halachic aspects and the crowd control aspects of it. They went together to talk to Rishmo Salant, who seemed to be okay with it on some level. He said, Rishmo Salant said, to sign on and say that I'm pro, that I won't do. But to stop you, that I also won't do. So Rishmo Salant was out of the way and they went to talk to the Sephardic chief rabbi. They were really building uh, uh, somewhat of a consensus they, they sent the tshuva to the Stei in Hebron. They were building a consensus to allow for blowing the shofar on Shabbos. Now, what ends up happening is that for technical reasons, the Aderes wanted to organize a list of which Rabbanim would come and for crowd control and 
what time of day it should be and what shul it should be. And he reached out to Askanim, people who would be able to help him with this, who you know were knowledgeable in the technical aspects of setting up a big maimed in Yerushalayim. And by some mazel, the people that he reached out to were the old enemies of, of, of Rabbi Kiv Yosef Schlesinger, who once again saw in his move to create a Bezdin Kavua and to make Tkia Shafer in, in Yerushalayim on Shabbos the same streak of, of you know, antinomian and anti-authority uh, personality that Rabbi Yosef had that got him in trouble all those years ago come to the fore again. And they raised a huge stink. They collected letters and they, they got the issue banned. And, <coughs> and there was not enough time for Bikivi Yosef to organize a, a proper response to this. And, and uh, again, it went the way of his previous initiatives where uh, nothing happened with it and, and it ended up becoming this battle. Now, the letter of his that I said that I'd want to read is, is written in the shadow of all this. After all this takes place, after... After everything we just described takes place, Rabbi Kiv Yosef transcribes how he sees everything go down, and, and that's the letter that I want to read from. Now, just before we read it, the, as a postscript, Rabbi Kiv Yosef eventually gets his, his proper COVID from the whole, the whole Kahil of Yerushalayim. By the time Rabbi Kiv Yosef dies in 1922, he's a beloved guy in Yerushalayim, Rabbi Yosef Chaim, who had fought with him, you know, all those years ago, had done a shidduch with him. Rabbi Yosef Chaim was masked him at his levaya with Pechias. So, it, it ultimately, it turns out that, like, he's kind of a tragic person. Someone who was a goin, a Yerushimayim, a, a tremendous chavivus ha-mitzvahs, like, like one of the people wrote about him. Rabbi Yosef's only mistake is that he's a oyev mitzvahs la yizba mitzvahs. He pasha can't get enough. And because of that, he's trying to do mitzvahs that he doesn't even, even have to do, or that he's not mechoyiv to do, or they're not appropriate to do. So <coughs> he ultimately goes down as probably a misunderstood going. Maybe he misunderstood himself, the time and the place, and what, what he could and can't do. And, and some saif, he, he's someone who, who the, the tzibur in Yerushalayim has a lot of derech heretz for. And his enikluch and irinikluch are some very prominent, uh, you know, uh, people in Yerushalayim and, and, and became very, very normalized. So it's really just like a, a sad person and a sad kufa that led to this, to this machlekes. Now, so, so let's go back to the, to the Indian itself now. So Rabbi Kiva Yosef, in, in his letter, he writes a few tainus. So for starters, and this is probably the, the motivating factor for him, and this is not something that anybody else is sympathetic to, he writes as follows, that... Uh, he says, "The the he ne a mitzvah rishayna hazayis mi bereishes hashana shein kamoyel lizikaron chazday." There's no better mitzvah that we have. The first mitzvah of the year that we could do that's mazkar kadosh baruch hu's rachmanis for us. <coughs> he says, "Vechaseru lanuzal payim shana," and this is something that we're missing for the last two thousand years. Verazal heidu chazal were made shehibal ligrim liyeshua liyisrael. It's something that comes to bring Yeshua for Klai Yisrael. V'sha'alti es pigedoi li Yisrael, Rashi Yer HaKadosh, v'kulam ein echad, sh'ayim efakvik v'davar adar abba, siyu emesayin. Okay, that's, that's his perspective. That there was no one who, who, who felt otherwise and everybody was okay with, uh, with, uh, with blowing Shafer on Shabbos. And he says, v'karhoya hakol muchan lasis, everything was ready to do, v'nesvat alay dem achlekes, k'mayim imbali agreifen rachman al-Islam, b'loy tam teira, he says, it, it, it was everything was ready. I did all the legwork. I prepared it from a halachic standpoint. 
And all that happened is that people who have no Ruach HaTayr in them interceded and stopped it from happening. Now, you know, one could argue that, that uh, they were defending status quo, normative halacha, something that Claudius Ropaskin for, for, you know, probably close to 2,000 years, and even though there's a Shita Dechuyah, the Rif, that says that he did it, but to, to go and, and do it like that, and, and that's not allowed. And, uh, others said that when the Rif says you need to have a Bezdin Kavua, he means Dayanim were worthy to serve on the Sanhedrin. He collects many Rabbanim who hold that you need to have a very substantial Bezdin, something that's not even possible. There are other Rishayim that say you need to have Musmachim. Bezdin has to have people who have Smicha, again, something that's not possible. So, so one could argue that, you know, this is not a fully accurate representation of the halachic landscape you know, leading up to this, but this is Akapanam how he perceives it. He says, uh, you know, I, I put together, he, he writes very extensively, he writes that he went to the Adares, and he went to Rebel Yasher, the chief rabbi, and the Stechamed, the Rishon Lutzion, and uh, we organized it, we had it all prepared. <coughs> and, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's too long to read, but basically... Basically, he, he's very saddened and complaining that, uh, that, you know, this is something that he couldn't see to fruition when it should have been the halacha. Lemaisa, the, the Shmuel Salant, it seems, behind his back, was, was, you know, less on board and was definitely not pushing for it. Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld was certainly against it. And, uh, you know, a lot of the G'dayli Yerushalayim felt that it was not Eskahat halacha and, uh, you know, not something that should be done. The The... Just as an interesting like side note is that is that Rav Chaim Zanafeld was a Talmud of Rav Avram Shag. There seems to be Episagvius Edus that says that Rav Avram Shab, Shag, when he was the Rav in in Bixvadorf, I think I'm, I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly in Hungary, he he on Shabbos also would go with just his Talmudim a small amount and blow Shafer in uh, you know in the forest where no one could hear it when Shafer, when, when Rosh Hashanah fell out on Shabbos. Incidentally, his Talmud of Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld was the, from the main Leichmim, Keneged, Rebbe Kiv Yosef Schlesinger's Hamsa, to blow Shefer on Shabbos. Now, you know, maybe you could argue that, that it was more complicated than just the Shiloh blowing Shefer on Shabbos. It was, it was about the entire, you know, structure of, of, of the Kehila in, in Yerushalayim at the time. But let's take Yosef Chaim for his word that he held La Halacha was not acceptable so it's just interesting that, that his Rebbe of Ram Shag seemed to have been from those who held that maybe halachically it could be acceptable B'chalayf and uh, what exactly happened that year whether or not Rebbe Yosef himself blew it is itself a matter of controversy Rebbe Yosef again brings down that, that there's different Neschayis but some say that Rebbe Yosef closed the shutters on his uh, small minion in his house which was in the the it's a small Rabbi Yosef lived in the house that's right by the Shar Hamugrabim by the Kaisel. You know, as Nashim is today, is where Rabbi Yosef lived in that house, or a house that wasn't that location. And uh, there are those who say that he closed the shutters in 1905 on Rosh Hashanah and he blew Shafer. Now uh, others say that it never happened; he didn't see it through. It's hard, hard to say for sure what happened one way or the other. Now I don't think there's enough time to to talk about this, but. Uh, an interesting shaila is, and I'll just leave you, I'll leave off with this, is what would be if somebody is blowing shaifer on, on Rosh Hashanah Shechalis B'Shavis? Granted, let's say we hold like normative halacha that you can't blow shaifer on Shabbos Shechalis Rosh Hashanah, either Midei Raisa like the Yushalmi, or Misham Shvos like the Bavli, but Yiyech Shiyeh, we paskin like the Rambam and the Torah and the Shulchan Aruch, that we don't blow shaifer on Shabbos. But what about if somebody's doing it? 
would there be an Indian to go listen, to be Yitzhak from somebody else's Tkiah? Tahainu, if we believe that someone is doing an Aveira, or being over on a Derabanan when he blows Shafer, would there be an Indian to Chachko hear it? Meaning, could I have a key in my mitzvah by listening to Shafer from someone who's blowing it Be'eser? That's a, a grace and Eden in different channels in Shuvah, and I don't think it's something we'll have time to get through today, but uh, there's a Herb Kiveger that people bring a Raya from and, and, and others. It's an interesting shayla. Maybe we'll, re- we'll revisit it. Akhaponim, this year when we don't blow Shafer, we'll be Mekayim, the, the normative halacha not to blow Shafer on Shabbos. And uh, when Mashiach comes, we'll blow Shafer on Shabbos again. Be'ezus Hashem.